Hey there, it's Charlie here from Asset Blocks. Oh, wait a second. Actually, it's Full Stack Business Owner. Yes, we've recently gone through a massive rebrand and pivoted our name to Full Stack Business Owner. However, we actually made some episodes of the podcast before the rebrand that we just felt were too good not to release. There was some really helpful and useful content that we think is going to help you win and become a full stack business owner. So we're still going to release this podcast. However, you will probably, actually, I know you will hear us reference asset blocks throughout it. So please note, you will hear us say asset blocks, but the show is full stack business owner, and that is what it will be called from now on. Anyway, I hope you enjoy these episodes and I'll see you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner. Welcome to Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition because wealth creation is different for Australian business owners. Today, we are with Goose McGrath talking about understanding the business model of property investing. I love this one. Uh, but before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. This episode is important because it is the same as different business models in business. For example, you've got service businesses, products, coaching, e-commerce, info business. If you're a business owner listening to this, you understand what I'm talking about. And what you have done is you've selected the business model that is right for you based on your situation. And that is no different to wealth creation. There are business models to property investing and the strategy you choose depends on your situation. So if you're an Australian business owner who is looking to evaluate different property investment business models or just starting out your property investment journey, then this episode is exactly what you need to look for. And if you do want to get in contact with Goose McGrath, head over to assetblocks.com.au forward slash partners forward slash dash dot to get in contact or even go and check out all of the other partners that we work with. And if you do enjoy the show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with someone else who might be in a similar situation. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. We are with Goose McGrath, the CEO of Dashdot, who are our property portfolio growth partners. And he has actually bought most of my properties on my behalf. And I think yourself, Charlie, as well. Uh, Absolutely. Goose, in about like 15, 30 seconds, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, cool. So for those who don't know me, as you said, I'm the CEO of Dashdot. We um, specialize in helping people to build scalable, profitable property portfolios, which is Really important because you know most property investors get stuck at like one or two properties and never achieve their goals. So what we've gotten really, really good at is working out how to identify the right property, right place, right time, and buying properties specifically that will allow you to build a scalable property portfolio, which is really great for business owners, right? Because with most business owners, that's what they're trying to achieve is some degree of scalability. And so understanding that you can do that with, with property, I think is uh, is a really interesting thing as well. And I, I, I am curious. Like this topic is. Very specific. Yeah. <laughs> why, why did we cover this topic? But also, like, in my opinion, why do people like, not talk about this? They, they go tactic level as opposed to sort of talking about this overarching point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a great point, right? So what we want to specifically talk about today is like uh, how, property investing as a business model in and of itself, how all of that relates, all of that kind of stuff. And you said something there that was really specifically valuable. Why are people thinking about tactics rather than elevating their thinking and thinking more about things from like a principles basis? So, um, if we kind of wind back a little bit, so I, um, you know, the reason that that I even got into this, I didn't wake up one day and decide that I want to be a real estate agent. I don't, I think, it, I don't know anyone, <laughs> I don't know anyone who's done that, right? So, wait, wait, I, I actually know one guy that I'm pretty sure he came out of the womb ready for this, like yeah, shoes okay. and comb over, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't wake up one day and just go, yeah, I want to be a real estate guy. Yeah. I, I woke up one day and said, I'm stuck, I'm burnt out, and my life is not going the way that I wanted it to go. Um, so me and my partner, Gabby, decided that we were going to try and achieve financial freedom by investing in property because we just thought that's what you did, right? We made a mistake, bought the wrong property, etc. That then started us on a quest to try and work out how to solve this, right? Now, the benefit of that is that we didn't actually have anyone around us to pollute our thinking with loads of different um, tactics or like, hey, this is how it's done. So we actually got to approach this with a bit of a blank canvas, a bit of a white sheet of paper, which is good because then the way that we've been thinking about property investing from the get-go is from 
a much more elevated printable basis, right? And when you really cook property investing down, it's pretty simple. You've only got really two key key characteristics in any asset, and that is cash flow and growth, right? And so it's kind of the same with it's kind of the same with businesses. You've got different types of business models that can achieve different things in different ways. And so if you can understand what the basic building blocks are of any portfolio, it is how well actually there's three components, right? There's there's growth in the asset, there's cash flow in the asset, and then there's the amount of debt you can get. They're the kind of three things that you've constantly got to play with. So when you then start breaking that down, you can then start getting to a better place of understanding around what you can do with property and then how you can actually start thinking about it differently. Now, the way that just to kind of break that down a little bit further, regardless of whatever property that you buy, I like to I like to think of it kind of like buying a McDonald's, right? So you have a McDonald's, it's a shop, right? It sits, it's it sits on a piece of land, right? That shop happens to sell burgers and stuff like that, right? That's how that shop makes money, right? It sells burgers and then it turns those burgers into cash and it pays the rent on the land, etc. And property investing is literally no different. You are putting a shop on top of a piece of land and that shop sells accommodation solutions. Now you have the opportunity to decide what type of accommodation solutions you want to you you want to provide, and you also have the opportunity to decide what other characteristics you might want in the asset. Is it more about growth or is it more about cash flow? But elevating the thinking and breaking it down to first principles, I think, is the first step in order to be able to even think about real estate investing as as a business model. Yeah, that's huge. And I remember very early on for myself, this is something I found quite confusing, Goose, and you were one of the people that really helped me understand it. You said something to me when we were recording a podcast on your show, The Investor Lab. Go check it out, by the way. Um, where we were talking about like there's the Uber business model, which yeah. for those that don't know, there's Uber that basically makes no money. Their model is all growth and then they're going to capitalize on that at another point. And then you've also got businesses on the other side of things, which are more like, I'm trying to think of a really good example of this, maybe more like a Coles supermarket where it's like yeah. they're a cash flow model and they pay a dividend and that's a focus for them is how they do their business. It's not so much on growth, but uh, they're very, very polar. They're both good businesses. Like I don't think anyone would be upset if they owned either of them. A- but, if absolutely. Yeah. but if you're in one and not the other and trying to play the other or you're confused and trying to run both at the same time yeah. or you don't understand how these things can play together, it could be very, very difficult. And I would really appreciate if you could talk into that and explain it in context to property. Uh, look, totally. It's like anything, right? So um, different people are, are going to be suited to different businesses, right? <laughs> For different reasons. Just like different people are suited to different sports. Someone might be really great at basketball and really bad at, at, at you know, at polo like, or something like that. Baseball. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. MJ. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> and so um, really understanding what business you're getting into is, is, I think, the kind of key to success in business in, in, any, in any form, right? And so... Yeah, thinking thinking through that to to your point, right? So we've got these kind of like negatively geared businesses like Uber, which rely on consistent in, injections of capital. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you could be a coach, right? A coach being a coach is one of the highest cash flow things that you can do because there's basically no overhead and there's only one employee, right? So the margin is extremely is extremely high. But I think um, kind of just like breaking it down a little uh, a little bit further, it's really about first understanding what it is you're trying to achieve, right? Because if you, I think it kind of starts with your goals, right? We can kind of go into the different into, into the different models and stuff like that. But I think it actually starts by actually working out where you're at and where you're trying to get to because business owners often have one of these things already going on in their lives, right? So they already have either a growth-based business, right? Maybe maybe that maybe someone is has a, an Uber type uh, type business. Uh, in that case, their portfolio might, their property portfolio might actually need more cash flow and vice versa. So, understanding that starting point is really, really important, and that helps you. And also, where you're trying to get to, that actually helps you to to decide what business to get into. Because in the spectrum of property investing, all of these different, a lot of people call them strategies, right? But in actuality, they're they're tactics. They're different things that you can do, right? So, you could do flipping. Right properties, for example. So you could buy a house, renovate it, and sell it. Right, and that is that works. Right, all of these different things works. Negatively geared properties also work. Um, you know, but then that's a negative cash flow model. You've kind of got all these different things that work. But understanding what you've got to put in there in the, at the right time is is I think 
one of the kind of key pieces to that. I'm not sure if I answered your question there, Charlie, or if we went off on a tangent. I do, but I really want you to elaborate on this one. For example, in flipping, which I think is something we can all contextually yep. understand, you buy a house, you renovate it, and then you yep. sell it. That's a flip. Yep. Why is that a tactic and not a business model in this context? Like, help me unpack that to see there. And I realize that you may yep. have flipping in your portfolio, but I look at that and go, that's Uber or that's a coaching business in your example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. So you can build a business around uh, any set of tactics, right? So you can build a business around, like, let's say you're a private equity firm, right? And your whole business, your whole investment thesis is to buy businesses that you're going to do turnarounds on, right? They're they're underperforming. They look ugly. You know, they've got bad operating um, um, policies, all that kind of stuff. And you can turn that around and make a profit. That's kind of the equivalent of flipping. And you can do that over and over and over and over again. But essentially, each one of those, the strategy then is to be a flipper and to and to you've got to have the right capital allocation to be able to do that. You've got to have the right knowledge to be able to do that. And people do that with businesses all all the time, right? Um, so I kind of th- I kind of think about it in that in that same context of like buying something, renovating it, and selling it. And you can do that with businesses too. So if strategically that is the business model that you want to get into, each one of those is essentially just like a a little lever you can pull. I also like to think of flipping and stuff kind of like almost like a product launch formula as well. Like it's sort of like one of those things where you don't actually have a lot of income coming in. You have these big moments where you get a big injection of cash, but then you need to go and create something else. To um to be able to get that kind of capital back in the door, so and I like to think about developments because a lot of people think about developments as well. Like they think, oh, okay, I, what I need to do is I need to go and like buy something, you know, build on it, and that's how I'm going to make my money. But I kind of think of that is as being very similar to something like manufacturing, right? Where it's like, okay, I can identify a need in a market, right? So there's a need in a market for I don't know two bedroom apartments, or there's a need in a market for blue colored widgets, right? And so what I'm going to do is I am going to Create that product for that market. So you're essentially creating, it's essentially a manufacturing business. Now, the downside with manufacturing business is it's very capital intensive, right? So you have a lot of capital tied up for a long period of time to create the widgets and then sell them. Now, if you can do that at scale, like someone like Harry Triggerboff, it's very, very, very profitable, right? But the problem is there's a huge amount of inertia and it's very difficult to kind of get into because of the risk profile associated with the capital allocation, right? So on on one end you've sort of got developments, which is kind of like you're manufacturing the op- you're manufacturing the product to suit a market need. That's the thesis that you're trying to do. And of course, if you get it wrong, if you've misread the market need, no one wants to buy your product. That's going to be bad, right? And then you've got flipping, which is essentially basically I think doing turnarounds. You're finding like an ugly building or an ugly business, right? And you're turning it into something beautiful, and then you're on selling it for a profit, kind of like a private equity play. Okay, uh, so would we yep. call those the active strategies? These are yeah, ones yeah. where it's like there's a, it's we're not very passive in these, or there might be elements, but it's like there's a huge amount of movement going in in these, and yeah. then a, an end date as such. Like a development might take exactly a few years, or a renovation might take a year, and then we're going to sell that. We've got our exit point on that, so we're in and out. That's the move. It's not a a thirty year strategy as some that others are. So that's a yeah. whole bucket. Now, as a business owner, and bringing back to this though. One of the things I, I look at, and I'm someone who's done a development and a renovation, yep. I just look at the time thing that comes into them. So I think one of the things I would love us to flag is that if you are going to do those type of strategies, that if you've got a business that requires you 100 hours a week, these are probably not as suited to you. Well, I think that's a really good point, Charlie. And this is where different business models are going to suit different people for different reasons, right? Yep. So if you're a business owner, business is already an active sport, right? And so rather than thinking of business and real estate as being intrinsically these different games, they are the same game. They're the, the game of business. You've just got different, you've just got different kind of assets that you're working on, right? But typically the, the main business that people are in is an active sport, right? You got to show up to play. If you don't show up, you're not going to score any goals, you're not going to win the game, right? Pretty simple. So for most business owners, they already have a very active strategy. And so then in order to balance that, you need to have something which is less active. Probably because you literally just don't have enough time, energy, or bandwidth. And if you try and take on too many things at once, something's going to fail. Now, on the other side of the coin, if someone has a lot of time, if someone doesn't have an active uh, an active business or or something like that, they may actually have the time and the bandwidth and stuff like that to lean in and go. You know, I know a lot of people who who do renovations and flips, and that's part of their strategy. And the reason they like doing that is because they actually have the time and really enjoy getting on the tools. So it's kind of like a hobby, right? 
that just, just a sober, I secretly have a fantasy of doing some renovations in my older years, right? Getting the tool belt on again and getting back yep. into it. Um, but it, but let's come, come into this. Let's say someone's an author and they live off yep. royalties and book sales and like, you know, maybe it's Robert Kiyosaki and he wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? <laughs> this thing just keeps selling, right? He can yep. roll on. He would have time. Like that's the type of person. Or if you're someone that's got an ice cream stand that's only open in summer, and you're like, well, what do I do all winter? Because no one's at the beach. Like yeah. these are the type of scenarios where that would make sense. And I just want to uh, hone in on a point. You could add this in later if your yes. business circumstance changes yep. though, right? Like like I just said, secret fantasy, although I probably won't make any money on my renovation. It's more for me. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's later, right? It's later when totally. you have time. Yeah, so you can kind of bake these kind of things in. It's kind of like, you know, in any, in any business, if you don't um, innovate, refresh and all of that kind of stuff, there's going to be opportunities for somebody else to add value later on. Yep. So let's say that I just started a, um, let's say I started a, I don't know, a services business uh, at a local corner store here in Bondi and kind of thing. And I, and I set up that business and on day one, it was fresh and vibrant and lively. And on, on, day, on, on day one of year 20, if I haven't done anything to improve that, if I haven't you know, you know, uh, renovated the building, uh, updated the, the branding, if I haven't done anything to improve that, guess what? Somebody else is going to come in here and come in and be able to go, oh, okay, I can see some value that I can unlock there. I could buy that business and renovate it right, and freshen it up and it's going to be much more attractive and profitable. All right. All right. You are literally describing my local baker. It's like <laughs> if you go there and buy something, it's like he's angry at you for being there. Like he's yeah. so done. He's so done. He needs to sell it and move on. He's but like, do you know why he's angry? Because he chose the wrong business model, right? <laughs> it's just, no, he didn't know that he could change. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, still yeah, sitting true, there. True. He's just like, oh, wait, there is other business models out there? Wait a minute. But so that's, that's a really great point. So I, I really love this topic. And I know there's so many different ways we can look at it, right? <laughs> but I, I really love this topic because I, you just said something that was so valuable. I didn't know there was other business models, right? And this is, this is one of the things with property. Most people don't understand how it works, right? So from an outsider's view, particularly for most business owners that I've had the opportunity to connect with, they may actually understand that there's like loads of different business models, but they look at real estate as this one amorphous blob. And it's like, I don't know. It's kind of slow, boring, and confusing. And I guess you just kind of chuck money at it and wait and, you yeah. know, whatever, right? Because they don't actually understand that there are different streams or different strategies or different tactics or uh, how they should be thinking about it on a principles on a principles basis, right? Just in the same way that if someone goes into business without actually taking the time to go, what type of business do I want to create? What is the business model? Is it going to be a um, subscription-based business with a reliable recurring revenue? Am I going to be going for growth? Is it more important for me to have profit? How big do I want the business to be? Am I going for scalability? Or am I, you know, like you've got to think all these things through. Otherwise, you could end up somewhere that you don't want. And also, where you start is not necessarily where you end, right? So yep. um, I can talk about uh, us, right? For like and Dashdot, right? So we started as a services business. We are still primarily a services business. However, being a services business is actually allowing us to invest in uh, in evolving our business model, and we're investing a lot in technology as well. So the business can evolve as you start to think about, okay, what is the next stage of the journey and where am I trying to get to? The same thing actually kind of needs to happen with your property portfolio just in the same way it needs to happen with your business. Yeah. And I, I've been through that, right? Like I've had a services business and I'm like, oh, I, could, I can apply the exact same concepts to a software company and it does not happen, right? So if you are buying property and going, cool, I've, I own some properties, I know I can a little bit about some walls and a roof. I reckon I could do a development. It's fundamentally different yeah. between the between the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop, stop throwing shots. Stop throwing <laughs> shots. I thought I would be excellent at development. Turns I suck at being on the phone to council. But anyway, anyway. You know, as as I've just received photos of a new deck that was put into one of the investment properties, I'm like, that beam doesn't look correct. And I'm like, I got no credibility for this whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. No, no one should come to me and ask for advice on this. So, really, the the fundamental underlying is, and I love this. The two big differences is active and passive. Yeah, right. Like yeah. one of the things I know we've talked a lot about the active side of this all because I'm sitting here going, I yeah, I've done some renovations. Sure, that's active and it's sucked up some of my time and stuff like that. But it's a kind of like a one one point in time over a couple of months. Cool, no, is it all? But then I look at all of the other properties I go, and I'm like, they're all passive. I don't. I don't do anything besides maybe fix a shower screen or sort of a hot water service or anything like that. Is what what sits underneath that sort of passive yeah. piece, if you will? Yeah. So I'll, I will answer that question specifically, but it's an interesting one to think about because if you're sitting there as a business owner and you're thinking, how do I diversify out of this business? And you've got a bunch of different choices, right? 
if you were to think about buying another business, what type of business would you think about buying? Would you think about buying another business that's exactly the same but requires you to go and invest 60 hours a week on top of what you're doing? Or would you buy maybe a, I don't know, let's say you're in a services business, would you buy something more like a, I don't know, a product-based business which uh, or a SaaS-based business, which is more about the uh, revenue stream? So having a think about that and what's going to be complementary to your life is the key. Now, under the kind of more passive strategies, bearing in mind that there is no such thing as absolutely passive, right? So Agreed. people say passive income in real estate, um, but that doesn't mean absolutely hands-free. Like it is it is still a business. You're still going to need to have check-ins with your team, which is your property managers and stuff. Charlie? Let's just call it less active. I think less active. A better less framing. active. Yeah, fair. A, yeah, lot yeah, less, yeah. a lot less active. Yeah, it's a lot less active. It's Yeah, it's, a, it's a, yeah, simpler and less simpler and less active. So um, there are different strategies under that. Now, um, I am a massive proponent of buying properties which are cash flow positive, right? And we can kind of go down that tangent, but that might be a whole number of can of worms to open up. Um, but that being said, just because I have a bias towards um, cash flow positive properties, that doesn't mean that negative cash flow properties are bad. Right? There's no such thing as a bad asset. There's only bad asset selection based on your portfo- the portfolio of you, right? which includes your current business, whatever other assets you've got, all of that kind of stuff. Now, negative, negative gearing, the thesis behind it is to buy a, uh, a property in a high growth area, um, and but the downside being that it's probably negative cash flow, right? Now, as a business owner, I don't particularly like uh, I, I don't particularly like any point in time where we go negative cash flow, right? So, um, because that means you've got to put money into it, or you're sacrificing profits from somewhere else. But that's essentially the thesis: is that you have a growth based asset which doesn't produce enough cash flow to be able to cover its own expenses and needs. Okay, so that's the basic thesis. Yeah, that's yep. the that's the Uber model, right? Let's connect it back model. to business. Yeah. This is where, like, they I think, and Amazon was the same for many, many years. Like, yeah, there's a lot yeah, of yeah. companies out there that have pursued this. Going, we're going to be big one day, and it'll all be worth it. But for the short term, relying on other streams. So interesting that you mentioned Amazon, actually, because Amazon absolutely were that. They said, we're a growth-based business, and so we are not going to turn a profit. For, like the, I think I went 20 years without turning a profit or something like that. Don't, don't quote me on that specifically. Until such time as the Wall Street analysts said, this business will never turn a profit, and therefore, it's a pile of junk, and the value of the assets, uh, the value of the business started to go down because people stopped believing that it was ever going to be profitable. And then, so what they did is they turned around and said, oh, hang on a second. We need to make it profitable, so they they changed some of the op- how they're operating, made it profitable, and then uh, and then it became way, way more valuable again because it's like oh my god, it's big and profitable. <laughs> the interesting the interesting thing that I want to point out there is that at a certain point there was a um uh the, there was a, de- a demand uh, what do they call it demand degradation basically because it was like oh this thing seems like it's good but it's been we've been saying this for ages and it can no longer afford to keep pumping money into this asset yeah. right so at a certain point demand destruction was the, uh, the the technical word I was looking for so there was essentially demand destruction because what that asset amazon required was a continuous influx of capital to keep things moving and after a certain period of time people go i don't know if i can afford to keep pouring money into this what is going on here and then you have what's called demand destruction, and that's where the prices start to tip back, and, and the and the asset need to recalibrate, which is in fact one of the things you actually see in a lot of capital city markets, because as the assets become a certain level of um, uh, price, you actually get some demand destruction based on relative affordability. We actually just did a um, a, um, a, a study into this as well, and the impact of affordability specifically in, in capital city markets. But that's a real thing, and it happens in businesses as well as property. So that's just something to point out there. I'll just jump in on that. Let's bring this uh, example in a property because I can see this existing, right? Let's pretend yeah. you bought a block of land in Brighton, Victoria, which is quite an affluent suburb. It's got a crappy house on it that no one wants to rent. Yeah. Every month you've got this mortgage on this land and you're pouring money into this for years. And it's like you're sitting there and it's uh, there. And then one day you put a uh, nice big five-bedroom house on it and then suddenly someone's re- willing to rent that at a very high level. So they've changed the operation model. They've changed yeah. the shop on the land. Just like Amazon, maybe they restructured their management team or they stopped expanding at such a rate. Yeah. And then bang, now this thing is positive cash flow, like the model has come through. So that's the idea of negative gearing is the ability to do that. And then you get a whole bit, bunch of tax benefits along the way, which is why so many people have, I suppose, explored that in the last 20 years. Yes, exactly. Just to your point on that um, example that you used about the uh, the Brighton block, in that example, great example, by the way, yeah, you buy a block of land in Brighton, which is expensive. The property prices in Brighton go up in value. You're land banking for 20 years and you're going, yeah, yeah, one day, one day, we're going to build a 
a big house on here and it's going to make heaps of cash flow and it's going to be great. And then for whatever reason, 20 years down the line, when you decide you're going to go do it, you discover that you actually can't build on that block, right? Can't be built on. So then what happens to the value of that piece of land? goes down, right? And so that's the demand destruction. That's the demand destruction cycle happening exactly as it is if you can't produce the cash flow. I can see right now, it'll be Bianca in the background going, I told you so, get off realestate.com.au. <laughs> um, by the way, just to clarify again, in the business of property, like I feel like for uh, business owners, social media is LinkedIn. Uh, in yeah. the property world, social media is the realestate.com.au app. Totally. <laughs> There's just no community. It's just everyone's just looking at the same for thing. Now, for now, for now, for now. But hang on, that is that is actually coming. That is actually coming. Stay, stay tuned for that. So, yeah, look, that... that sorry, sorry, Grant. I was just saying, the, the ability for everyone to throw rocks at each other around property, great. Like... It's a but yeah, it's a, it's a let's call it a lively community, shall we? <laughs> Rate my portfolio instead of it's like Tinder, right? Except like you put your house up and people say, Yeah, I'd buy it or not buy it. Swipe. <laughs> oh, I hope Q, I hope Q roofing. How's the driveway? These are not good business ideas. Real estate, please don't follow this at all. You never know who's listening to this. So you might see that popping up on realestate.com.au in no time. So, so yeah, but that's, but back to, back to the negative gearing thing. Essentially, that is like, like having a negatively geared business is the same as having like the, the Uber model where you're going for growth in theory and you hope that you're going to get to a point of profitability later on. Um, and there's a massive, massive amount of tax benefits along the way. But just a point that I want to touch on on that is that we've, like in the last episode we did, and we could probably say this every single episode because it's so, so valuable, optimizing for um, tax is a surefire way to kill your borrowing capacity. So when it comes to buying property, you one of the key components I mentioned at the start was the ability to get debt, right? So you've got capital growth, you've got cash flow, and then you've got the access to capital, right? The, the yep. debt component, which is really, really key. And if you're optimizing your day-to-day business to lose money so that you can save tax, right? That means the bank's going to look at you and go, hey, your business loses money. Not sure that we want to lend you any money, any money to buy any other properties or to buy any real estate. Now, the same thing happens in real estate, right? Let's say you've got a business which is highly cash flow positive and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm pumping out cash flow. I'm making loads of profits. And the banks are like, yeah, yeah, no worries. You've got heaps of borrowing capacity. If you go and buy properties or buy real estate, which is negatively geared, i.e. negative cash flow, i.e. loses money, that degrades your borrowing capacity because what the bank does is they look at it and go, oh, that property you bought, how that produces less income than it uses. Okay, cool. So you're in spe- your expenses are going up and that actually degrades your borrowing capacity and brings it down. Versus if you bought a cash flow positive asset, then the opposite would happen where the banks would go, oh, okay, that, that asset's actually producing more income and therefore we can actually like factor that back in so you're not degrading your borrowing capacity as much, right? So very important thing to understand around negative gearing. I always find it fascinating. Oh, continue, I guess. No, go. Yeah, I always find it fascinating that like, every time that we talk about these topics i'm like it's fighting for the exact same dollars <laughs> yeah. right like you imagine you got a hundred thousand dollars sitting there like there is no right or wrong choice unless there potentially is right like you could choose to go negative gear you could choose like a less active strategy of like negatively gearing positively gearing which is like obviously it's making money or even the other sides which is the developments or the renovations or the flipping Right. Yeah. So if people are listening to this, like, yeah, like, holy smokes, I've heard about these sort of concepts before. Like, how do, how do they go for me? Like, which one do I start? Like, is there really one for yeah. everybody or is it all situational? Like, is it? So a great way to, a great way to think about it. And kind of Charlie kind of touched on this earlier. Like, he's kind of got a dream of renovating later on. <laughs> right. Now, the, the kind of like, broadly speaking, what that implies is at a certain point when you can afford to throw some time and money at it. Right. So if you have got a portfolio that is spinning off a bunch of cash and your business is spinning off a bunch of cash and you've got a bunch of time and you're like, you know what, I want to go and buy, I want to go and buy a negatively geared house in Bondi and I, I also want it to be a dump because I'm going to move there and sleep in the backyard and renovate it for three months. And that's cool. Like, absolutely, go for it. But the underlying thing there is that you have to have probably achieved a certain level of um, a, a certain base amount. You've got to hit save to a certain degree before it, that's probably going to be a sensible idea because you're going to probably be overexposing yourself to risk, time, all of the opportunity costs and all of these other things. So most business owners that I've met, right? So there is no... Ad, there is The only truth is there is no absolute truth. But generally speaking... Um, sorry, let me walk back from that a little bit, right? There are Business owners and non-business owners have two different investing kind of styles, typically, is what I actually say, right? It's actually different. It's different for business owners, right? What I typically see is if someone is a, you know, 
a standard PAYJ employee, right? And they've their their income is fixed by their place of work and all of that kind of stuff. They have limited opportunity to expand their access to capital, right? So typically speaking, what matters most for most investors who are not business owners uh, is that they focus on growth first because they have to work out how to accelerate their capital faster, right? And then they go through a transition once they've once they've achieved a certain capital base, where it then moves into a much more of a cash flow passive. And both both of these can be this the growth phase can be active if you've got more time than you have money and all of that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, there's smarter ways to do it. We can kind of talk about how to do, get both in a really easy way. But generally speaking, it would be growth and then transition to a more cash flow based um, strategy because you need to create the liquidity in your portfolio. Because just like Amazon, if you go growth for too long, you're going to run out of money and it's going to, you're going to have demand destruction. So at a certain point, you need to make sure you're focusing on profitability, right? Business owners, it's a little different, right? And this is really, really important to point out. Business owners typically can access more capital a little easier, right? Um, once the business has achieved a certain level of maturity and stability and all of that kind of stuff, if there's capital that you can take out of the business, you have an asset there which is increasing in value. You have something which has got a which has intrinsic value, right? Probably significant relative to the amount of income you're taking out of it. So if you you know that that's a saleable asset, typically speaking. So there's value there. What's often going to be the best thing for business owners actually to focus more on a cash flow based strategy right now in the quantum of property investing one thing that is true is that over time your borrowing capacity can degrade unless you're achieving a certain amount of cash flow in your portfolio then it can continue to extend essentially so for business owners typically the strategy is to focus and depending on where they are if it's an early stage business owner who hasn't built that capital base and hasn't built a big like all of that kind of stuff yeah cool we probably need to look at a bit of growth and a bit of cash flow but focusing on essentially a reliable recurring revenue stream outside of business is really key and what that does what that actually allows business owners to do is to unlock a new state of certainty and happiness and uh, you know gratitude and stuff because they're in this place where they're like, oh, hang on a second. Even if my business is sometimes volatile, even if my business is sometimes stressful, even if it's like, you know, business is quite active, right? If they know that they've created something outside of business, which could cover their day-to-day expenses, allow them to go on a holiday, all of that kind of stuff, that's the thing that gives them security to know that they've got something outside of business. So I think it's really key to kind of think about how that applies to, to business owners specifically. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on there. I find it fascinating at, fascinating at my stage. The thing that makes the biggest difference with being able to progress in my portfolio now mm. is cash flow. Yep. Like literally the cash flow number or the amount of positively geared uh, able to create from what we're doing is the difference on getting a property or not. Where if I want to buy a growth asset like something in Bondi, yeah. that would be very difficult for me at this stage. Like it's not actually the thing that the bank wants. But something else I just want to uh, jump in on that, and I know you'll go there, Goose. I've often thought as my business is the growth engine. I've often thought my business is the thing providing growth, so I potentially don't need as much of it in the property portfolio because I'm not going to use things like access equity. I'm just going to use the growth from my business and the cash from my business and push it into my property portfolio. Is that a way business owners should potentially think about it, or is that risky thinking? So I think it's different, right? So you, where you're at in business and your property portfolio is a little bit different. If you want to kind of... Because somebody hearing this who's a, a solopreneur coach, right? Who has got a high cash flow business, but actually that business doesn't have any saleable value because there's too much key person risk and all of that kind of stuff. That's, that's a pure cash flow business, right? Now, if that person also then just goes, all I'm going to do is invest in cash flow uh, properties and growth doesn't matter to me at all, it's actually probably going to go a little slower because you're only able to compound your cash in order to get to the kind of next place. So it kind of depends. Like it kind of depends a little bit on uh, where you're at, how much cash you can take out of the business, and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. If you're a coach and you're a solopreneur and you're producing a million dollars a year in cash flow, okay, cool. Let's call that a solid capital base, right? And you can kind of that that would then change the thesis. But um, but kind of to yeah to to your to your point. Understanding what it is that you need more is 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 really critical. And as you as your portfolio gets bigger, cash flow is really really important, right? So, um, if yeah, look, you have to be earning a significant amount of money for it to make a lot of sense for you to be able to to, to go and buy negatively geared assets. Like you've got to have a pretty substantial portfolio. And what happens over time anyway is, if you are focusing on getting buying in good locations where you're going to get growth anyway, you're going to get the growth in your asset. So. What you said is like, I don't even want to take the equity out of my properties. I just want to take the profits out of my business and use that to fund my portfolio. 
That's a great strategy. But over time, what's going to happen is your LVRs in your pro- property portfolio. So it might be a little too technical, but basically the, rate, the, the relative amount of debt you have compared to the value of the properties that you buy is going to shrink, right? And so you're going to end up with a bunch of lazy capital in your, in your property portfolio, which you could then use. So then you've got a growth engine outside of your business. Um, so you want to think about when is that going to make sense? But here's the rub. <laughs> you won't be able to touch any of that unless you have enough cash flow in your portfolio. So kind of the way that I like to think about it is business owners specifically should be thinking about going for cash flow assets, but do so in a way that they're buying also in good growth locations, right? And when you do both of those things together and you buy assets that don't have an active strategy attached to them, it doesn't require you to go and swing a hammer. It's based on fundamentals. It's based on economics. It's based on science. These kind of things actually allow you to tap into both aspects of it. So you can build a capital base outside your business and whether or not you want to tap into those reserves, whether you want to leverage the equity, that is entirely situational depending on who you are, what you're trying to achieve, all of these kind of things. But getting the cash flow in your portfolio so you've got that optionality either to have the income stream outside of business or to give you the optionality to be able to continue to borrow, to continue doing other things. I think that's kind of the key. And when we have these conversation, Goose, it just gets me excited, right? This is the exact reason I wanted to do this episode with you is I hope business owners, well, one, aren't getting overwhelmed by the amount of different options and opportunity, but two, just expanding their mind in the ways that it can be played, like just like in business. And this is the yeah. thing I keep coming back to. If you've got a business right now, the different opportunities to grow or expand or acquire assets in your business is massive. The same is true here. It's not just buy the house on the street you live in and it doubles every seven years. I don't even think that's a true comment, although it was a common like wives' tale once upon a time. It's a, such, a, uh, such a big world in property to explore. It, it, it is. And I would just like to point something out as well. Like When I started in property, I mean, I had no idea. So I was kind of looking at all of these different things. I'm like, oh, do we... Do we do renovate for profit? Okay, sort of went down that rabbit hole. Do we do small developments? Went down that rabbit hole. In fact, I remember talking to you about that, Charlie, as well uh, a couple of years ago. Um, What I have learned is that all of these different kind of tactics or things that you can do all work just like you could go to pretty much any course online, a marketing course or a business course or a sales course. And if you follow that course, you'll probably achieve some degree of success based on that thesis, at least holding weight, right? If you just follow, if you just do that thing, it's probably going to work, right? To some degree. However, back to the point that we've been talking about active versus passive. What I want to look for, because I, I love being in business with Dashdot. I'm really passionate about it. I, I love the level of activity that I have in the business. I'm not looking to kind of like wind back and kick back on the beach anytime soon. I'm into it. I'm into the, the intensity of the game. When I'm thinking about uh, real estate as like a parallel business, I want to be thinking about what is the easiest way to make the most amount of money with the lowest risk, essentially, right? That simple, like really simple, like back to back to where we started at the start of the episode. Where are we like because you can get overwhelmed with all of these different things coming at you? What do I choose? What do I choose? Elevate the thinking, go, okay, well, what do I want? I want to be able to get the best possible return with the lowest possible risk with the least amount of input. Like make it as easy as possible. Thanks. And what that does is that naturally passes away a lot of the more active strategies, which carry with them higher levels of risk, higher levels of um, uh, capital cost, and all of these other kind of things. And you just you can actually create something that's really, really simple and really complementary to the fact that you have, you have in business typically a very active strategy. And then in real, real estate, you can have something which can achieve everything that you want, but actually doesn't require a huge amount of input. And I think that's really relevant to how business owners should be thinking about business as well, right? Like for me, as I look at business opportunities, whether I'm going to start one or whether I'm going to buy into one, et cetera, like I need to look at what resources I have available from, to your point, Goose, cash, time, knowledge, research, like network, et cetera. And so that when I got into property, my whole point was I don't, when I first started, I'm like, I don't know enough about this to be dangerous. I don't have a massive network in property. I don't have a whole heap of builders, mates that are builders. I don't have all of these things. So I'm like, how would I go and be a property developer? How would I be successful at flipping houses when like my hands are like, they, they don't touch things, right? They don't touch like a hammer. They don't go to the garden. They don't, these things type on keyboards. Just right? so you know, tradies would call you soft hands. Just so you exactly. know, that's, that's what okay. we uh, refer, often refer to the uh, desk jockeys as, <laughs> the, yeah. old soft hands. <laughs> Thanks guys, pillow hands or something like that. I'm like, and so I looked at this and I almost looked through the business models to omit them 
Because I'm like, I, I need to omit these things. I can't have an active strategy because I don't have the time for it. Just like in business models, when I look at it, I'm like, I don't have the time for that or I don't have the knowledge for that or the network. And so it really sort of focused me in on, okay, well, there's only a couple that I could really get involved in. I'm like, well, my income probably doesn't justify or have the need for like a negative, uh, negatively geared property. Like, so the natural outcome that I'm looking for is a positively geared, cash flow positive property that is less active, as we say, not completely passive. Like I have done sort of minor renovations and things like that. But even them, I, I kind of see them last. Like business is always first. It's like, oh, by the way, we've kind of done this part on the renovation. I'm like, uh, I got to look at that at some point, right? And that's, I think that is the key message here for business owners when they're looking at evaluating, well, what property investment business model is right for you at this stage? That is kind of how I have gone through that. Um, noting that at some point I might flip over and go, cool, a development might be great and when, when I don't have businesses anymore or something like that. And so I'm curious, Goose, from your experience, I know that you've sort of talked to people who haven't had a great property experience, people who might have got a business model that might not have suited their situation, stuff like that. Is there sort of some pitfalls or some things that people should be avoiding or some considerations to make on this whole sort of journey? I know that we're sort of talking about, hey, these are everything that's available and we're talking about time and stuff like that. Is there anything that people should really sort of avoid or consider? I actually think that you actually just talked about it, right? Because the, where I've seen a lot of people go wrong is that they enter into they enter into business models that they actually don't understand, right? So mm. I can think of one really great example of a guy who his name is Luke and man, is such a passionate property investor. If you spoke to him, you'd be thinking like this guy is just like he's just all he talks about is property investing. Property investing all day long, loves it, just totally mad for it. Turns out though, he's only got one property. Not that that's a bad thing. Not that um, there's no ego metric around that. The actual bad thing though is that he's only got one property and he's held it for like a number of years and he got stuck on the first property, right? He got stuck on the first property. And the reason he got stuck on the first property is because he thought, oh, you know what I need to do is I need to buy a a property that's got a massive block, right? And I'm going to do a development on it because that's how you make money in, in property. Never bought an investment property before. Didn't know what he was doing, but he just thought that that was the key, right? He thought that starting an Uber or something was the way to go. So he bought this property and ostensibly not in a bad place. Like he kind of like chose location pretty well and actually had a look at all this with him as well. But here's the problem. He had no more borrowing capacity left. He couldn't actually... Like the property didn't produce enough income for him to be able to get to, to extend his borrowing capacity. So he got stuck, couldn't buy any more properties. Also, didn't have the capital <laughs> to be able to actually do the development or even to go like to get. So he basically has just sat there with one asset for like for, for like three, three years or whatever it is and hasn't been able to move forward. And that is just one example of what happens when you get the business model wrong. And statistically speaking, 71% of property investors never get past the first property, right? 19% never, 19% never get past the second property. These are stats from the ATO. I'm not just kind of making these up as random you know, numbers, which means that 90% of property investors never get past two properties, right? But in that first, first portion, 71% never get past the first one. That's because they choose the wrong business model. They go, yeah, yeah, I want to get into property. And then they might buy... Uh, a negatively geared asset, or they might um, they might try and go straight to do developments or, or something like this. So, uh, really, kind of taking that step back and 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 fundamentally trying to understand what business do you want to get into is actually is actually the key, right? And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of where most people go wrong. It's kind of like he's found a great SaaS idea, or mm. got all the patents and everything. He's got basic code, but it's like can't actually afford to hire any coders to come and make the products. So it's just stuck in a zombie business model. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, so, and this is really interesting, just another little anecdote. I was talking to a business owner, a friend of mine uh, a while ago who had, he had, at the time, he had a coaching business, right? So, the, but it was quite active, right? So, he had to show up and coach people and it was, it was good. It was profitable and, you know, whatever. But he was like, oh man, you know what? I think I'm just going to buy a SaaS business because um, I want a reliable recurring revenue stream. I just want to, I just want the hands free thing. And I was like, Hang on a second. Everyone wants that. So the valuations are really, really high and the actual cash flow is really, really low, often negative. I was like, you have a cash flow business. His name is Ben. I was like, you do you already have a cash flow business, right? So you kind of need to think about this a little, a little differently. But yeah, just trying to understand that little piece of like what business do I want to get into and why and how does it fit within the broader scheme of what I'm trying to achieve is I think fundamentally the key. And it, it's it's my, everyone's stuff one saying, Grant, 
Do you, I know you've got some SaaS experience. I know your brother is probably one of the best coders in the country. I know that you've uh, bought and so potentially uh, sold some SaaS businesses, involved in other SaaS businesses. Do you think of SaaS as a, uh, like, we'll call it a passive strategy in business? I'm curious. I think SaaS is harder than services. Like, I've had services businesses, coaching businesses, and SaaS. SaaS is like the worst. That is the longest play. <laughs> But uh, it is, yes. So and it, it's actually probably part of the reason why I love this topic so much because I, can, I have the benefit of pain, right? Like I have tried different business models in business and thoroughly struggled for years as I've tried to understand the business model, found, find the blind spots that I had and just go trudge through the mud going, why the hell did I get into this? But the downside was, I was already in it, which means like I've got no benefit. Like I've got benefit of hindsight now of going, oh, yeah, if only I knew this stuff like 10 years ago, that'd be great. Um, but that's why I was laughing because I'm just like it, it fundamentally different. It's the same thing as I now own five properties. I'm going to go and do developments. Well, no, there's a fundamentally different business model entirely. You have to evaluate so many different situations based on where you are at as a, an entrepreneur or property investor or this or just a business owner going for wealth creation. I just, it's fascinating. I just want to know who the PR company is for SaaS, right? They've done an excellent <laughs> job of making sure people think it's a passive business model, right? We need to hire that person. Uh, we really do. So, <laughs> yeah, I probably added to that. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting um, kind of, kind of thing to think about because you can actually, you can, you can do any of it, right? So just in the same way that, if you have no idea about SaaS and you walk into it thinking, oh, this is going to be easy, probably going to be entering into a world of pain, right? You might as well go and eat cheese graters or something. It's going to be hard. Right? Eating glass sounds great. Exactly. But, and just in the same way that if you're like, yeah, I don't really know, but development sounds cool. I'd love to be one of those developer guys. That's, that sounds great. If you just go into it, probably like, like there's a reason that, um, like, so de developers, there are a lot of, if you look at the rich list, the AFR rich list, there are a lot of people there in property, but there are a lot of people that don't stay there very long, right? Like, like developers go bust. Like, it's, it, it's, a, it's hard. Even if you're successful, it's really hard and volatile, high risk. Goose, but those Adidas bum bags and big gold chains are expensive, man. Like <laughs> I can see why this happens. Also, secret fantasy of mine. But, uh, we'll right but, but just like anything, you can learn. Like, you can, you can, you can go down that pathway if you're prepared to do the work, right? If you, if you said, all right, I want to start a SaaS business, you could go and really learn. You could go and invest a couple of years of time to try and build the fundamentals to really understand it, maybe work in a couple of other businesses, do some, like, do some further education and really invest in trying to get there. Same thing goes with development. If you want to do small development, you can invest the time to build up those skills. But the, the question that business owners are going to ask themselves is, is that really what you want to do? Do you want to invest a couple of years of time in order to build up skills just to enter into that business model or do you want to find an easier way? And I think it's actually that, that realization of asking yourself the question now, not after the fact. Yeah. Like if you get in and similar to the situation of Luke, which, hey, Luke, if you're listening to this, um, if you go and buy the property and then go, oh, wait, this is different. <laughs> Now I'm going to try. And then you're trying to learn the business model or the property investing business model after the fact. That's very difficult to get out of or even swim through, right? Because now you've got the pain or the, or the pressure that's coming in from it as opposed to, cool, I'm looking at this from the outside looking in going, well, what's the next move I'm going to make? What's the next business model I'm going to step into? And that's when you can really sort of jump, jump straight into it. Couldn't agree more. Which I, I find it fascinating. I... Uh, <laughs> The greatest summary that I've got for this is understanding that there is active and what, what do we call it? Less active. Less active. <laughs> it's very active and less Damn active. It, there's a buzzword there that I just am not allowed to say now. <laughs> so, yeah, splitting it into the active and the less active in, in the mind, right? I think that is the most logical step, number one, especially as a business owner, because all, well, I would argue that 90% of all business owners, they're active. Thing is their business themselves, right? Which means that the less active component is like that's that's all they've got to play with, and then the sub layers underneath each one. So the actives, I love the concept around developments, the renovations, the flipping, etc. Things that take your time and capital. Where the less active are, you buying something that might be negatively geared. So 
cool, going to offset some tax, buying something that could be positively geared, which is like cash flow positive and all of those things. I really think that, that those two layers is the greatest summary around everything that we've just walked through today. But then understanding what applies for you as a business owner. So for example, in my situation, I can't see myself in the immediate future doing anything besides less active, uh, positive, positive. Can, can I tell you a story? Because um, we work with we work with, work with quite a few business owners, and a couple of years ago, um, uh, a couple of business owners, like business partners, they came to us and they said, "Right, we're businesses, we're killing it in business, right? We're just, we're, it's just grows, it's just growing like wildfire, right? We need a way to de-risk our position. We want to create a reliable uh, recurring revenue stream outside of business. We wanted, they wanted a less active strategy. They said, "Look, we can pump the money into this, but you guys got to do the work, and we just want something that's just going to work. We don't want the stress. We just, anyway." Um, the first deal that we found them, interestingly, was a really great deal, right? Not very cash flow centric, right? But really great deal, but it could be developed into five properties, right? It was could be two properties side by side that could be developed into five townhouses. Now, every other property that we have bought them has been high cash flow, good growth, really great growth as well, right? But high cash flow. Now, we did a we did a review with those guys the other day. If they did nothing at this point, if they just stopped and didn't buy any more properties. And we're two years into the journey. By year 10, they would have $250,000 net cash flow, right? Which is pretty awesome. That's right? a great result. I wouldn't that's be upset. Great. That's, that's a great result. They, their goal is actually to get to 500 grand passive, which is so we're, anyway. We're, we're, but, um, but that's awesome. And so they actually then said, huh. So that property we bought, the first one, which was in um, South Australia, does that, does that even, is that even going to even make sense for us to go and do the development? And I was like, Probably not. Like, like at, the reality is the goal for them was to create cash flow stream. And so they could go and do that later on if they want, if they want to have fun. But it's already growing really strongly and all of that kind of stuff. So it's a great asset in their portfolio, but the goal is cash flow. So they're sort of going, well, okay, what's the point? And I think, that's, I think that's, that's a really interesting recurring theme. Once people unlock the ability to be able to build a scalable property portfolio that is less active and then can provide those income streams. I always find it so fascinating just how many different business owners that you interact with that buy property and the, the stories that come with it and the benefit of hindsight through sort of the, the doors that they have opened to say, hey, this is the journey that I've been through. So I'm, I'm curious, Goose, everyone who's listening to this is like, this sounds interesting. This actually sounds like it's up my alley. If they want to talk to you a little bit more about it or even understand a bit more, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, that's really easy. Um, so obviously, we are a massive supporter of Asset Blocks uh, podcast. I think this is a great show. I've got a personal passion for wanting to help business owners build wealth and, and a reliable recurring income stream outside of business. So the easiest way to get hold of us is to go to assetblocks.com.au forward slash partners forward slash dash dot. You can get in touch with us there. If you use that pathway to get in touch with us, we actually have a special discount that we offer to, to Asset Blocks listeners, to business owners to help accelerate that kind of first stage of your journey. So make sure you head there to get in touch. I love it. So that's assetblocks.com.au forward slash partners forward slash a dash dot as well. Uh, and if you did enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe and share it with someone who might not understand the, what are we calling it now? The property investment business models, uh, especially for us business owners. It makes logical sense to think of it this way. I, I think it's one of the greatest epiphanies that I wish I knew back at the start of my journey. And I just want to say thanks again for joining us. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition.